podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey! It's pod 401. We kick off the next 400 podcasts with an unbelievable win at the Etihad 2-0 Crystal Palace, which we'll be talking about very soon indeed uh, with our panel this week of... Oh, I, don't, I never come to you first, but Andy Street. Hello to you. This is very uncustomary. Oh, hi. I'm, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Great to have you on. Uh, nice Jack- to not be an afterthought. Thank you. Thank you very You're much. You're never an afterthought. <laughs> Just adding your name to the list secretly. Um, Jack Pierce, hello to you. How are you doing? Hello, JD. I'm good. Yeah, very good. Thank you. You're basking in the glow of a glorious palace win. Indeed, indeed. Uh, which doesn't happen very often. Only twice this season, in fact. Uh, and also joining us, he wasn't on the pod extra, so he's been promoted to the first team for this main pod. Uh, it's Dom Fifield. How are you? Very well, thank you. Just back from Newcastle, where I was watching the other mob play, uh, just to, just to make Selzy feel happy. You know, watching Chelsea. Weekend. <laughs> wow, that is a very early to reference to Chelsea on the podcast. I think possibly the yeah, earliest. Dave, the panel beat is looking for him. By the way, he's not happy. <laughs> he's not indeed. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll stop the in jokes there. Um, we are going to talk about obviously Palace's fantastic tuna win at Man City uh, on Saturday. Before we do that, we'd obviously like to pass on our thoughts to Kevin. Uh, Ali and Ed after the passing of Kevin's father, Kenny, uh, who, of course, was at many pod recordings at Kevin's house when we used to do that. And I think actually featured on a few episodes as well. Um, we obviously send all our love to Kevin. And, uh, you know, the replies to some of the tweets from FYP listeners to, to Kevin's tweet has been uh, been lovely, including from Christine Benteke as well. So uh, we are sending all our love to Kevin, Ed and Ali. Uh, and we're thinking of Kenny. Shall we do a shout out to uh, an FYP patron? Yes. Yes. Uh, Elliot Miles. Hi, Elliot. Hello, Elliot. Hello, Elliot. Uh, and you can join our patron and get all the rewards, much like Elliot, including post-match podcasts, patron-only merchandise, and access to the patron Discord club at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Uh, patrons get immediate 20% off all our merch, uh, which anyone can buy at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash FYP hyphen podcast. And we're working on a brand new line of merchandise that I'm hoping to reveal at the live podcast, which is actually next Thursday. That's come around really quickly. Uh, Thursday, the 11th of November at the Streatham Space Project in Streatham Hill with a mystery palace legend as a guest. And I'd like to say tickets have now sold out for that. So thank you to everyone that's bought a ticket. Uh, We have sold out and we can't wait to see you there next Thursday in Streatham with our mystery palace legend. Uh, Before we crack on with uh, this week's episode, I'm delighted to say we are sponsored again by Matthew J.I. Wood. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll know Matthew has sponsored us before. We love having him on board. He's a Sheffield-based graphic designer and a big Palace fan who creates beautiful football prints. And it's another fantastic offer for FYP listeners who are looking for that early Christmas gift. Now, Matthew is offering 20% off everything on his site. And that includes prints, frames, canvases, and mugs. He has an extensive Palace range, including all four stands in his Selhurst Stadium range, as well as a Homesdale Road exterior design and a Sellers Park overall interior design, plus a 2013 playoff final-themed Wembley design. As well as that, he has two Sabutio-style lineups, one based on the brilliant When Eagles Dare documentary and a 1990 FA Cup final lineup too. So, something for everyone. You have no doubt seen Matthew's brilliant prints on Twitter and Instagram, but we're going to put them on our socials as well so you can see them. Now visit MatthewJOwood.com and use the code FYP20 at the checkout for 20% off your order on anything across his store. And that runs until the 15th of November. So be quick. 
the perfect early Christmas present for any Palace fan in your life, or maybe even treat yourself. So thank you to Matthew for being on board this episode. And he's picked a good one, Dom, because Palace won 2-0 at the Etihad this season, uh, this season, this Saturday. Uh, a fant- I mean, just a fantastic before uh, a win, but also pretty decent before. I mean, they pretty much earned it. They, they deserved it. Yeah, it was brilliant from from what I've seen. I watched the watched the ninety minutes back, and yeah, I mean, it was a very different kind of performance to some of the the games we've been putting in of late. We obviously uh, surrendered a lot of possession to to Manchester City, but yeah, and we and we clearly benefited from them going out of ten men before half time. Let's let's not kid ourselves. I think the second half would have been a very different situation had they had eleven on the pitch. But but what what a result! An absolutely phenomenal result. It's 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 great to know that that this Palace team, despite all the changes, retains that sort of steely resolve and, and doggedness that they had and under the previous regime. Um, that was a, there were elements of a Roy Hodgson esque performance in terms of the way the way that they defended and were resilient at the back, but the expansiveness, the fact that they they were brave and courageous going forward in the first half in particular and then and then exploited it late on, which is something that we've been praying that they, they, they'd be doing more often in, in games and we'd have a lot more points if they'd managed to get that two-goal advantage in a, in a few fixtures this season. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. A, a, a fantastic performance. And, and to go to the Etihad and score a goal is an amazing, amazing achievement. To, to go there and win 2-0 is phenomenal. Yeah, Andy. I mean, obviously, we all we all remember the three two victory there a couple of years ago with Townsend's rocket, and it's a it's a victory that um, you know we do reference quite a lot on the pod and the pod extra. I know Celtic likes to say we had three shots on target that that day, and City had four hundred, and we won three two. That I mean, that was a great day out, but it did feel like a bit of a smash and grab. This was a different performance, as Dom says. This was a really measured professional performance, and a deserved win from Palace. I mean. Yeah, you were up there, weren't you? What was your appraisal of of this of this performance? Yeah, I, I think um, there's certain themes that are, are coming out in this Palace season so far, and one of them is just defensive solidity from open play. And this is actually when you look at Man City's numbers, and I know I love coming back to expected goals. I think it was in their bottom three of expected goals in the last five seasons, which is quite an extraordinary performance by Palace. You know, notwithstanding that City were down to 10 men for um, half of the match, you would still be expecting them to uh, create a significant amount of chances and to pepper the Palace goal. And that just didn't really happen. I mean, they had an awful lot of the ball in the first half. They were getting in behind a fair amount on the overlaps. Um, but still, Palace's rearguard uh, action throughout that half and three parts of the second half as well was, yeah, it was reminiscent of how Palace have been um, prior to Patrick Vieira's Rain and thank, thankfully, finally, we were also clinical uh, in the final third in the final third of the match as well. Um, and that type of uh, uh, profligate finishing that we've seen at times in previous matches wasn't there. So it was it was a strange match. I, I, I found myself just before the sending off uh, was awarded, thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be a really long second half." I, I could easily see them scoring a couple in this match, just given how much of the ball they had. And obviously, you know, the, the sending off did change the game, as Dom, Dom says. And from that point onwards, I, I didn't really feel like, you know, we were in a great deal of danger. And that's borne out by, as I say, that quite extraordinary stat. So a brilliant performance all in all. Yeah, if I can throw another stat at you, I saw on Twitter that I think Palace are only the third team to win twice or more at City since Pepper's taken over. And I think the other two are Man United and Chelsea, I believe, which is an incredible stat. Um, and actually, speaking of the goals, Jack... You sort of had two slightly different goals, but both from sort of the old and the new Palace. You had, you had a counter-attack goal for the second one, which is obviously something we a way that Palace have played for a long time. But the first one came from the high press, this new high press Palace. So you're seeing this evolution of Palace, even in the two goals themselves. Yeah, and, bo- and both goals highlighted the value of our uh, sterling central midfielder, Conor Gallagher, who I think in terms of that type of midfielder is perhaps the best in the league at the moment, that high press joining the front um, midfielder. He's, he's playing that particularly well at the moment and and was warranted with an assist and, and his goal. So, yeah, really interested to see us make the most of different types of situations. To score after five minutes at the Etihad 
can sometimes be a, a bit of a problem for some sides. But as Andy said, um, the turning point was probably the red card in the sense that the uh, the second half perhaps wasn't the barrage which which we would have thought it would have been. Um, both goals taken taken well. Probably a bit of luck with with Will's finish. He doesn't hit the ball especially cleanly, but he kind of hits it in a way that means it goes beyond Edison. And and uh, as I said, yeah, one new up after five minutes. And then, yeah, the, the second goal is is exactly what we wanted. I, I can't imagine there were too many Palace fans who Hart didn't skip a beat when, uh, you know, the, the substitution of Coyote for Elise happened, but um, it, it worked. And Elise's role in that goal demonstrated everything that's good about him. Um, and everything that's good about Palace at the moment. So, yeah, two very well-taken goals. And, uh, yeah, as Andy touched on with the XG, I think Palace actually beat City in terms of XG on, on Saturday, which is a which is a very rare occurrence for, for Guardiola's sides. Yeah, Gallagher was so good that I put him on my bench for my fantasy team. So that was 13 points. I very... oh, fantasy, fantasy bell. Fantasy sorry, bell. Sorry. Ring, ring the bell. Ring sorry, it. sorry. I just, it still hurts. It just still hurts. It hurts. You know, I'm not saying it took the shine off the victory for me, but you know, it, it did hurt. Um, well, actually, I, I, I actually heard that Vieira said that, you know, in the, in the dressing room after the game, he said, good result lads, but what about JD's fantasy team? And, quite rightly. Uh, and quite rightly. Yeah. yeah he's, he wasn't very happy. He knows. Um, actually, Dom, that, that substitution there, uh, the attacking substitution with Elise, uh, is interesting because against Arsenal, and I think possibly against Brighton as well, we were talking about Vieira trying to go defensive and, and hold on to leads. And this was very much not that case and very bold away at the Etihad. Is that a case, do we think, of Vieira maybe learning from those, trying something different? What, what, how do we translate that? Definitely an evolution happening. Um, I, I, the other ones haven't really paid off because we have conceded late. Um, the Tompkins substitution against Arsenal felt like a reaction to the, to the late concession against Brighton. This one may well have been a reaction to not wanting to invite the same kind of pressure that we had to withstand for the last 10 minutes at, at the Emirates Stadium as well. Um, it, it's remarkably bold when you look at it. They had Luca on the bench and he gets overlooked um, completely and end up with a, a midfield. I, I presume Schlupp and MacArthur were, were, was sort of sitting slightly deeper for those latter stages. But for Elisa to come on, I mean, to carry a threat in the... In, in the latter stages of a game, admittedly against 10 men and against the 10 men that were going to overcommit forward. I think that was quite a, still, still a good thing to do when you're considering the calibre of the opponent and look, it paid off and brilliant. And that's, I mean, it's not to say that he'll, he'd make that substitution, you know, next weekend if, if we're in a similar situation, you, you, you want him to react to how the, the game is, is playing out and you want to, you want him to react to how the opponent is, is performing as well, but that was perfect for that. And Elise, Elise continues to impress. He's going to be such a talent for Crystal Palace, and we've just got to hold on to him for as as long as we can. I quite I, I like the fact that he's being sort of drip fed slowly into the into the team. He's had that one start against Newcastle where I thought he did okay. He did well, put the one decent cross in that, that Palace managed for Benteke in the in the in the first half of that game. Um, he he will be he will be someone that we enjoy a lot of I think at Celeste Park and, and hopefully the time isn't too far away where he and Zaha start a, a game possibly a home game possibly against a team around us in the league and possibly on Saturday yeah I'm getting I'm not comparing them but I'm getting sort of Matt Janssen vibes from him just that sort of silky way that he plays and mm. that silky left foot and, sure. oh no I'm thinking about Matt Janssen again um let's move on that uh, uh I guess the only contentious moment in the game Andy is is the reds the Laporte red but it wasn't really that contentious was it I mean it's 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 definitely a red. Although, if you compare it to, there was an instant in uh, what game was it? a game later on in the weekend. That's right. With uh, was it Gabrielle? Possibly. No, I can't remember who it was. Um, was it Arsenal? I think it was Arsenal. Yeah, well, where... I just completely made that up. No, I think no, it was, uh, they showed, they Evans, showed it side Evans, by side on match of the day. Yeah, Evans on Aubameyang. That's in right. The Arsenal game. Yeah, there that's you go. right. Which was identical, but was only given as a yellow. But it was uh, it was definitely a goal scoring opportunity, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's 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 quite far out. So. Um, you can sort of see, and that's one of the criteria that needs to be taken into account for denial of a goal scoring opportunity. Um, but equally, with Wolf's pace, the lack of cover, the clear run through on goal, I, I, notwithstanding that it's a little distance out, I, I think it's the right decision. Um, I think if you're on the opposing end of it, you'd always cite the fact that it's quite far out and they aren't always given, as the uh, Arsenal game shows as a case in point. But yeah, I, I think on balance, it's the right decision. It, you know, ultimately, it was reviewed by VAR and VAR. Uh, corroborated that decision so I, I don't think they can be too many complaints but it was quite 
extraordinary, really. You know, you don't tend to see City completely lose their rag, and they did really fundamentally at the end of that half with um, Silva's rashness on Zaha Edison after the, the half-time whistle goes, uh, <laughs> getting uh, a booking for what I assume was dissent or ungentlemanly conduct or whatever it's called these days. Um, and they, they did look severely rattled by, I think, a combination of Palace's threatening press there, uh, misfiring as well, and um, finding themselves one nil down at half-time, which they very, very rarely did at the Etihad. It's yeah. to know whether Mariner actually, or rather the, whether the VAR had watched the Arsenal game first, because that was the first game of the weekend, wasn't it? Um, the Arsenal-Leicester match. Mm. And seen that incident, because subsequently, obviously, there's Palace with Laporte that goes to VAR and he confirms that, that, that situation, albeit the referee on the field has made the decision to send him off. And then the, the West Ham game on Sunday, again, was another one where that went to VAR and he was sent off on the instruction of the VAR. Um, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Conso, was it? Conso should have gone for the elbow. Or no, no it, it was, was Conso. It was Conso. Yeah, Conso. Conso. should have gone yeah. for the elbow. They should have yeah. had two sent off in 20 yeah. seconds. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, just, I, just, I, may, I don't know whether the same VAR was sitting. I don't even know whether they're allowed to sit two games running on a game. Uh, but they would no, have been in like the same vicinity. It's a bit like HGV drivers have to have a break. Can't do two <laughs> games in a row. <laughs> we could do with more VAR refs then, do we? Drivers? Maybe they could drive. I don't know. Can they drive? Uh, who knows? Um, but yeah, no, it, like, it, it did set the tone. That Because that was a mistake. I mean, he... The, Johnny Evans should have should have been sent off in in the Arsenal game, and thankfully Palace benefited from a, the VARs doing the job on on the Saturday. Yeah, and it was it was the right decision. I think it it definitely was it was a goal scoring opportunity. I think regardless of maybe how far out, uh, out it was, but actually, um, Jack and Andy made a good point there about sort of Wilf getting under the skin of City because they did. I mean, Jesus as well seemed to spend five ten minutes just sort of chasing Wilf around trying to get under his skin, um, and it was almost sort of. We've seen Wilf before get involved in stuff, but actually it was kind of the it was Wilf perfectly towing that line between sort of winding up opposition, but obviously then not getting too wound up himself. And as I mean, I mean it, clearly it worked as well. So it was we know what we get with Wilf that kind of character, but I think he actually sort of played it perfectly. I think he did too. I think there's a definite tactic from City to try and even up the numbers as quickly as possible, and um, yeah, very quickly. You know, given that Laporte was sent off in added time with the first half, I think between then and the half-time whistle going, or at least Wilf getting down the tunnel. Uh, as Andy said, two City players are booked uh, in the effort of trying to trying to wind him up. So it's a definite tactic. Um, and I think Wilf, Wilf dealt with it well, but actually I think credit also needs to go to Andre Mariner, who I think kind of diffused the situation as well and, and cottoned onto what City were trying to do um, very quickly um, and put himself between the players. Um, Wilf is, is, I think he's 30 now, and I think he knows the... The, the trials and tribulations of of being a Premier League footballer and being Wilfred Zaha um, better than anybody. So um, he he is managing himself better um, in these situations. You know, famously it was Mariner who sent him off against Southampton a few years ago for for applauding um, the referee. What a shout that is, Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> two, I don't know. Uh, can't, I'll probably give someone credit on Twitter. He's put two, out, but, two years um, on him as well, by the way. He only turns 29 next week. Sorry, sorry. Well, he's even more mature for his years than he actually is. Well, many happy returns to, to Wilfred. But um, yeah, no, I, I felt um, getting Wilf down the tunnel was the most important thing at that part of the game. But there was a weird, I can't, I think it was on Sky Sport, I think it was on um, Soccer Saturday. And just the way they talk about Wilf um, still in the media, I think it was Tim Sherwood. And I won't go into detail about my opinions about Tim Sherwood, but um yeah, I don't need to say much more. But just going on about you know Wilf being petulant and and not really giving any sort of criticisms to the City players who one had just put their studs through his through his ankle and then the other ones that have run twenty five yards to confront him. So you know Wilf's reputation does still um, still follow him sadly. But no, I was um, I was pleased to see him get down the tunnel and then dealt with the second half very well. Didn't seem to be uh, the focus of such attention during the second half. Yeah, I actually, I think Dom, we're actually seeing a, a sort of evolution of Wilf as well. Actually, he seems to be uh, almost a sort of different person under Vieira, and I'm wondering how much that uh, that is the impact of Vieira coming in because we could have easily seen him lose his call in this game and get booked or get sent off. And and in fact, we have a question here from Daniel J. Edwards who says, oh, "Hi, Daniel. Uh, Wilf's part in the second goal shows a level of composure that you'd expect to see from top players, but I've always felt Wilf lacked." before he would have tried to beat his player and shoot. Is this the impact of PV and the coaching stuff? Are you, do you feel like you're seeing a sort of different Wilf? 
think we're seeing a happier wolf. I think we're seeing a wolf that is appreciating what we're doing with the ball and probably feels as if there are outlets or similar minded outlets in the team that, that, that will benefit him that will attract markers and hopefully free him up. I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure he's changed that much and I'm not going to, I completely agree with, with Jack's assessment of Tim Sherwood, um, his appraisal of him. Um, and, and the fact that he is kicked to pillar from pillar to post every week um, should be highlighted all the time. I, I do worry. I still think he's got that reaction in him. I think actually when Bernardo Silva, Silva cleans him up, um, in first half stoppage time and wins the free kick, Wolf does react to Silver. He does shove him, um, and not not in a way that I'd want. You know, you'd want to see a player booked, but it is still there. It is, it, and it, an official could potentially pull him up on that. Still, I think that is that, that is a, a in his locker. Still, I don't think he's ever going to lose that. He probably shouldn't want him to to be honest because it would take something away from his you know his charisma and his personality out on the pitch um but i just think he's i just think he's happier i think his post-match interviews sum that up neatly at the um at the etihad he's a he's a he's a player that feels as if he's been liberated in some way and one one thing on saturday I mean, he was playing through the middle uh, you know edward is in the team and yet it's wolf who's playing through the middle and edward's operating out left and we we know there is this desire in wolf to to play centrally he he was it was sort of granted to him under roy for long periods but but now he's he's playing in the middle with with runners around him and there's there's this sort of fluidity and fluency to our front line and, and indeed the midfield is getting forward to support as well. He's not isolated. It's he just looks like a player that is relishing life in an attack-minded team. And long may it continue. Absolutely, long may it continue. And long may this part one not continue. Wow, that's the worst link I've ever done. Because uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, <laughs> oh, bloody hell! Uh, and when we come back, the Tim Sherwood uh, of podcasters. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, that's the worst thing you've ever said to You've me. Been a gilet too. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> Uh, right, anyway. he's put trousers on as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is falling apart. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll try and restore order on the panel. And um, we'll talk about something else. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent. The next, a chef. Or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the Five Pan Podcast. Hey. Pod 401 uh, and it's now time for our winners and losers section famously only for our patrons so if you're part of our patron patron.com forward slash fyp podcast you'll get our winners and losers if you are one of our legacy fans who we do love just 20 percent less um you will get a uh, clip from the pod extra uh this weekend with uh rob and selzy um so let's make that split now It was, it was one of those games where Man City obviously had their chances. They had a lot, a lot of possession. They had, I think, 57 to 33 in, in the end, if you take both halves into account. But 
what Palace did defensively was significant, wasn't it? They, the, the, the work from Joel Ward, who I thought did an excellent job against Grealish, um, and then on the other flank, Tyreek Mitchell um, and our centre-back pairing, they both really, they all limited the number of chances that Chelsea, uh, Chelsea, Man City had. Um, and it, and it, it showed, didn't it? I mean, that you, by the end, they were kind of snatching at chances and it, it wasn't really working for them. I think, although Vicente Guaita had a number of saves to make, it'd be fair to say that none of them were too difficult, I think. They were sort of generally right down his throat, the majority of the uh, strikes on the goal. And, you know, we also had a few chances, as we talked about there previously, you know, Gehi's header and Jordan Ayew and so on, to to sort of put it beyond them previously but I think when you come here let's be honest you're not going to have more of the ball than Manchester City you're not going to have um, they've got better players than you all over the pitch pretty much despite however good our squad is and you know you're going to need luck you're going to need good fortune you're going to need hard graft and a few things to go your way and put it all into the pot a bit like the Tottenham game and you know cards fall right as you said and we end up with a really positive result you know a clean sheet here which is really difficult to achieve I mean even when we ran here one here three or four years ago under Roy you know we won the game that day with a 22 yard strike from Jeffrey Schlapp a 30 yard volley that you're once in a lifetime from Andros Townsend and and a penalty and we were pretty much under the cosh throughout the game it was a little bit more comfortable today I was uncomfortable a bit in the first half I thought that you know we weren't very good in possession when we had the ball I thought we were probably you know and credit City of course because the way they pressed us but I thought a couple of times the key was to sort of drop the ball in behind them and turn them and try and get up the pitch and then play from sort of throw-ins and situations in the final third really I think we probably looked a few times to Wilfred's feet and Edward's feet and IU's feet when really we needed to stick the ball behind the fullback and say, go on, go and get something off him sort of thing and then work from there. But, you know, I mean, it's very hard to be too critical, you know, when when you've gone there and achieved such a good result, you know, and in the end, the last couple of minutes, you were sort of reasonably comfortable knowing that you'd had the job done so you know I, I think in some ways I'm not I'm not surprised because I said all week that you know it's not beyond the, you know we won there with a much I mean the team we we won with three or four years ago is not as good as this current group of players by far and right now I said to uh, Andy Street on the phone during the week I don't think I don't think outside of City, Chelsea, Liverpool, there are too many teams that are doing much better than we are right now. And, you know, probably West Ham are sort of right up there and doing very well too. But I've got to say, we've we've done very well. I mean, today was a bit different. It wasn't the sort of outstanding performance of last week where you've got the ball all the time and you're really knocking at the door. But it's not going to be. You know, you know it's going to be a, a rear guard action. You know it's going to be a difficult afternoon. But... As you say, we sort of managed the game pretty well today, you know, and um, I've got to credit also the the manager there, the coach or whatever he is these days. Uh, first team manager. First team manager, OK, whatever you say. Um, uh, you know, with a... You know, I was a little bit worried with some of the substitutions. I, You know, Conor Gallagher's ended up scoring the second goal and after the foul and the yellow card, I was worried that he might see red and was sort of saying time to take him off if he can't make another tackle and he actually did make one very good tackle soon afterwards but my sort of heart was in my mouth a little bit so I was I I think with midfield players particularly when you're in these type of games and you're on cards and you're playing against an opponent that's going to be coming at you it doesn't give you much margin for uh, for error so I'm always now of the sort of view like okay he's on a card with an hour blade let's get him off and get someone else on you know and uh, but again they they sort of manage the situation and there were some good displays as you said Wardy 
really has done brilliantly this season, I have to say. You know, considering he's he's a bit like James MacArthur, again, has another sort of exemplary afternoon. You know, they seem to be able to sort of keep reinventing themselves all the time and, and finding a way. And, you know, Wardy and Tyrick Mitchell, as you said, were outstandingly good. The two central defenders, I felt, defensively excellent. A couple of... Uh, a couple too many risks a couple of times for me in, in balls in the first half particularly um, but you know the midfield check you know covering the ground making the tackles you know was a good choice and a clever choice from Patrick Vieira and his team there and then you know James McArthur and Conor Gallagher I mean Conor Gallagher an assist and a goal again he's high energy you know and uh you know, really bring something to the team. And uh, are you and Edward? I thought Edward did really, really well again. You know, and um, and Wilfred, you know, in his way, doing the job that he did again. An interesting ploy to play him centrally with Edward and uh, and uh, are you out wide? But um, that's either he doesn't fancy his defensive capabilities too much or he felt that he was going to be the best option to get the ball into and hang on to it and wriggle around for us. And, um, you know, and he's ended up scoring. It was a real uh, real good day for us, really. But like I said, not entirely... I'm OK, you're not going there. I can't say to you I went there and expected to win. But right now, the sort of vein of form we're in... I'd take the view that we're sort of a match for anybody and we'll get, we were unlucky to lose 3-0 at Liverpool. I mean, the Chelsea game, different. We weren't even prepared and, you know, it was a bit of a joke, really. But, you know, the rest of the season, you know, if we were playing Chelsea next week away, I'm pretty sure we'd go there and give them a bit of a, a, bit of a game, you know. So, things are, look really promising. It's a good time at the moment to be a Palace fan. It's, <laughs> I said last week that I thought we'd beat Man City and I, I don't know why I think it's I, gen, I just think it's because we play, we're play. we playing really really good football like we look like a really good side this isn't just one of those where we have sporadic you know 20 minute spells in a match we, we, we're playing really good football this isn't okay, even against Man City for all the for all the kind of possession that they had and for all the, the chances that they didn't even create that many chances. We frustrated them. Our midfield closed down the channels. It ended up with them bringing on stones for De Bruyne because because they had to lo- they had to, to hook the ball high and over our defence in an attempt to kind of open us up because it was so difficult for them to find the channels on the ground. Um, and, and the majority of the football that Man City seemed to play was outside that penalty area. And it was, I thought that was a. Uh, it's just indicative of the performance of Palace and, and the way that. The, the the faith that the manager has in his side and the faith that, that we as fans have in, in what Palace are doing because as you say it's so consistent it's so so consistent and there aren't going to be many teams that go to Manchester City and win 2-0 there aren't going to be many teams that, that do it the way that Palace did in the end you know I think um, a lot of credit goes to, to Wilfred Zaha he was just he was such a so so good in terms of frustrating them and whenever he did get the ball to feet it actually worked and you you could tell what his what his game plan was which was to try and turn them and it worked it worked um and then as you say the there are so many other players that deserve credit for the way that they played from the defense to the midfield Gallagher was outstanding uh, MacArthur just he's got like a Duracell battery in him hasn't he he's just crazy just all just constant energy um, even Kiate, you know, right at the start of the game, I thought I'm a little bit unsure about the inclusion of Kiate in that in that midfield. But he's so gangly; he reminds me of a, like one of those long-legged spiders that just kind of wraps wraps around his like his prey. Because whenever whenever Foden or um, uh, Rodri got the ball, you'd see him just like finding his feet dangling between <laughs> between the opponents and winning the ball from him um, and then finally I think as we said before um, the, 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 just the, the team effort from everybody to prevent Man City from getting near the goal the one time they did it was offside I think we, we you know if you look at the replays and the, if you see the lines drawn it's very very close but that's what VAR is ultimately for um, and it gave them an advantage and they scored from it and therefore 
it was called back. But just such a such a great performance. And that is it. That is our winners and losers done uh, for the weekend. Uh, if you are listening on the public feed, then you missed it, but you can listen to it at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast and post-match pods after every game. And if you did hear it, you're a patron and we love you loads. Uh, right, quick break. When we come back, questions. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to part three of the Five Year Plan podcast. Sponsored by graphic designer and Palace fan Matthew J.R. Wood, who is offering 20% off his entire range of prints, mugs, canvases, and frames to grab yours and get your discount. Enter FYP20 at the checkout at matthewjrwood.com before November the 15th. Right, let's crack on with questions from our listeners. Uh, David Kent. Hi, David. Hi, David. Just says, I'm speechless. Uh, not a question, but thanks anyway. Uh, Paul Beard. Hi, Paul. Says, hi, Paul. Just what? How? Question mark. And then Stephen Goldring. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Has put all together now. Dot, dot, dot. Typical palace. We knew someone was going to say it at some point. Um, but actually on that, Dirk Boyton. Hi, Dirk. Hi, Dirk. Has said, um, we've had superb one-off performances, oh, sorry, results several times since promotion, but has there ever been a performance that so merited the result as Saturday's two defeats in 10? Atypical Palace. <laughs> no, I thought you guys might like that a bit more. So, so it's nice. It's, it's a play on the usual. It's thank you, Dirk. <laughs> Andy, are these performances becoming atypical Palace? The fact that, you know, really, apart from maybe Chelsea and first half against West Ham, it's been incredibly consistent. Yeah, a bit. I, I think you do have to go back to this game and look at that first half and see that we weren't all that comfortable in our own defensive third and that the game did fundamentally change because of what happened with Laporte. And that's not to diminish the achievement by Palace at all, which is absolutely fantastic over 90 minutes. We do have to find a way, though, of putting teams who don't go down to 10 men in the bag, because that's now two wins against two teams with 10 men. And again, not to be disparaged at all, but that is what's happened. Um, but that said, you know, I, th- I thought the first half performance up until that sending off was probably not the best that we've been and probably in terms of uh, lack of comfort in possession equivalent to the Chelsea game. But it's, it's, there are three teams in this division who are significantly better than just about everyone else by far. Um, and you're not going to be able to dominate the ball against them particularly well most of the time. Uh, but equally, we didn't look completely overawed, and we did. It's quite uh, remarkably professional to be able to make that man advantage stick in the way that we did in that second half. There'd be plenty of mid-table and lower mid-table teams in the Premier League who wouldn't be able to do that even against the ten-man City. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you still have to say that contextually it's an excellent performance, but we do need still need to do that in some of the tighter, more marginal games against similar teams in stature to us, 
where they have 11 men for 90 minutes. Yeah, and had we done that, I mean, who knows, we could even be knocking on the door of top four at the moment. We are we are 10 games in, Jack, and that is obviously something that we famously say on this podcast at a time to properly sort of appraise how the season's going, I guess appraise the new manager. Um, so yeah, we are probably at 10 now. We had a question from Andy Bloss. Hello, Andy. Hi, Andy. And he says... Um, when Vieira was appointed back in the summer, what worries slash preconceptions did you have and what has surprised you most since then? And I guess, Jack, now at 10 games in, a good time to maybe think about that. Yeah, 10 games. I mean, you know, Spurs have, have cut their losses with their manager after 10 games. So I think it probably is a, a fair time to have that initial assessment. My biggest concern about Vieira's appointment was his lack of experience in the Premier League. That was my biggest concern about any manager we appointed um, that didn't have Premier League experience. Um you know, so well-versed were we in, in Roy's knowledge and management of, of various game situations that to have lost that um, knowledge and ability and replace it with someone who doesn't necessarily have that same breadth of, of knowledge and expertise was a huge concern of mine. That said, I think the appointment of Ossie and Roberts is looking more and more astute as the weeks go by. I think having such a technically-minded uh, assistant manager someone who's not overawed, um, someone who, who really does appear to be a very calm influence on, on both Vieira and the team, um, is, is looking a really, really shrewd appointment. And I, I, I think that, that fear I had has probably disappeared already. I think we've seen Vieira manage you know, the, the different opponents, a very difficult fixture list very, very well. Obviously, we, we would prefer to have a few more points on the board and have held out um, in some of those um, games that have ended in draws that perhaps we probably have warranted a victory in but I think Saturday's performance just kind of reaffirmed that we're in the right direction so any concerns I did have about Vieira I think have gone and I'm really excited about what the the, the future holds with with a, a Vieira-led palace. Dom, Dom were you the same sort of worries or preconceptions about Vieira and again 10 games in are you feeling more confident and if that actually can I add a question on top of that as well if possible from Terry Lee. Hi Good Terry. Who says is top half of the league a realistic target now? Um, concerns initially about Vieira. I mean, at his time at Nice, if you spoke to people who who watched his teams, they couldn't tell you what style of football that Nice were, were trying to play. They had no discernible uh, philosophy or or structure um, that they were consistent with. So it's been brilliantly refreshing and reassuring to see other than what I now looks like an aberration at, at Chelsea on the opening afternoon, the, the Palace have been consistently four, three, three and, and they've looked very, very comfortable in that system. They've, they've, they've got the personnel. He's recognized he's got the personnel to play that and to, 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 to play it well, which makes the, the selection at Stanford Bridge all the more baffling, but but maybe I mean that was a sort of strange afternoon and and maybe one that that caught Palace a bit on the hop. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I actually I actually had a lot of concern about the, the makeup of his coaching staff. I, I, I you've got guys there, and Ocean Roberts, yeah, he, he he's a brilliant coach of coaches, but he's never coached a, a club team at this level before. Um, so, likewise, you could you could argue for for Christopher, Christopher Wilson, um, Christian Wilson. Sorry, apologies. Um, at the background, even Sean Derry at this level. I mean, at least yeah. Sean Derry's sort of new Palace. But, but but the important thing about it was that Vieira was comfortable with these people and wanted them to be his staff, and he. And Palace were never going to sort of rock the boat and, and impose people upon him, I don't think. I mean, that would have been a dreadful thing to do from the outset. Um, and th- they seem to be learning with each game and growing with each game. And, and for them to be doing that and for the, the number of new players and young players to be to be learning as well and, and the speed at which they're doing that, and for Palace to remain consistent through that, I think is remarkable. I mean, it's not... None of this is what I anticipated at all. I'm so happy that it is like this i'm so happy that even though we're frustrated that they've thrown away points in this season and they they have and it's been horribly wasteful those last three seconds against brighton and and the last two seconds against arsenal horribly horribly wasteful but they've played so well to get to those positions it's 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 been brilliant i mean it's been refreshingly brilliant so top half 
beyond the top three, this this division isn't isn't that great. I mean, the, 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 I think the top three are going to be the top three are going to be head and shoulders above. Actually, that's probably a bit unfair on West Ham, to be honest. I mean, West Ham have been excellent. Mm. Um, Manchester United were being ridiculed the week before last for their performance at home to Liverpool, and and you'd expect them to recover and 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 to be up there in that in that top four before too long but but the rest is a bit of a mishmash i mean tottenham are a mess um everton i think have had a good start but they're about they're entering their dodgy spell now they'll probably go and wallop wolves tonight now i've said that but but the sort of limitations of their squad are there for all to see it's paper thin um there is nothing for palace to look at and think wow we're why can't we challenge for top half? I mean, why, why, we're playing as well as anyone in the division, and if, if we could just iron out some of those, some of those deficiencies. I mean, there will be periods where we have injuries and the suspensions, and they will be to key players. You know, a COVID could sweep through the squad, and suddenly you're playing a reserve team for two weeks, and it's 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 that type of weird situation and division. But but that we should be optimistic at the moment we should be thinking top half we should be thinking let's move up this table let's let's use this next run of games which is against a a load of teams that you'd be far more confident going into those matches and they'll pose a different kind of problem and the expectation will have to be dealt with which we haven't really had in the first 10 matches to date but but yeah let's be optimistic let's look up speaking of uh jack cpfc has said jokes aside jack. Hi, Jack. Jokes aside, have we actually turned a corner? I think it might actually be the, maybe the first time that question is, is applicable. I'll put that to you, Andy, and also ask you for your appraisal of Patrick Vieira after 10 games. I'm not engaging with pod cliches. You, you know me, JD. It's not, it's not my style. Uh, I, I've been, like Dom, extremely pleasantly surprised. I think uh, we at the outset of the, the season we did some podcasts, I said I was just extremely concerned about the fact that we'd appointed a manager who hadn't, not just by, by, by virtue of that, but, but appointed a manager who had no experience in the division in combination with trying to change all of the playing staff all at once, having let a number of experienced players at this level go. And that looked to me like a recipe at the very least for uncertainty. I think I, I had this game down at the Etihad as the end of a really difficult start where I said, you know, I could quite easily conce- and conceivably see a scenario where we have five points after those 10 games and you know, it's more than double that which is far above that which I expected and I, I think really we should have had more points you know we, we, we've spoken about the Brighton and Arsenal games ad nauseum and yeah I mean uh, since and you've got to put the first half against Man City a little out of the picture because Man City are the best team in the world in my view and you know they're going to press you and make you uncomfortable in, in possession at all times anyway um, but aside from that Chelsea game we, we have maintained a very consistent level of performance throughout. So I don't think it's just that we're turning the corner now. Patrick Vieira has imposed a, not just a style of play, but just an approach and responsibility to matches incredibly quickly. And the team are, are playing confidently and seemingly in a happy manner. And, and it's getting to a position now where, you know, we're, we're disappointed when we're not converting some of these draws into wins. We now do, do now need to do that. And we'll see then if we've, turn the corner but I I think yeah the appraisal is wildly exceeded expectations so far yeah I completely agree and it's been very enjoyable at the same time as well Uh, and it seems to have happened just incredibly quickly as well which I think is not something we are used to at Crystal Palace Um, speaking of Jack uh, I believe you've been monitoring the return of Everette Eze in an under 23 game I believe today. So first time seeing him back in a Palace shirt for a while. We've had a couple of questions on Eze actually. So uh, Cliff Jones, hello Cliff. Cliff, Cliff yep. says, "Where does Eze fit into the team, and when? When? Oh, sorry, when he's fit again?" And Simon Palmer, hello Simon. Hi, Simon, Simon says, "With such an effective battling three in the middle, Connor, Jimmy, and Luca slash Czech, <laughs> how on earth does Eze get back in the side?" I mean, first of all, it's exciting to see him back in a Palace shirt, but I guess it does create a positive headache for Vieira. What a lovely problem to have. Um, you know, he's he's such a talent. He's um, clearly uh, more than capable at this level. We saw that last season. Um, but more importantly, to have the luxury of time, um, and given what we've just been talking about, to not have to rush him back into the side. It's not as though we need, um, you know, that injection of his quality into the side. We're playing very well without him. So, 
you know, you'd hope that today's uh, under 23s game against Blackburn is the first of a few, maybe uh, under 23 games where he, where he gets minutes. Um, I don't know how long he played today, but um, I think he played at least a half, which is, which is really pleasing. Um, so the, the positive is we don't have to rush him back when he does come back. I think again, the other benefit is the flexibility that he can play in the, 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 at the top of the pitch or in or in the middle I'd, I'd like to see him in the middle because I think his his quality on the ball would would assist the transition um for the team moving through the pitch um but who do you drop I mean at the moment I I wouldn't I wouldn't start him ahead of Gallagher I wouldn't start him ahead of MacArthur and, and you couldn't play him at the base so to, to be honest the more likely um place for him to to be starting is probably as part of a front three but then who do you drop there either and it, it's a wonderful headache to have um I I think he'll be blooded in um, or blooded back in slowly but surely. Um, and uh, I, I can't wait to see him back. I note that the uh, under-23s today played in uh, the yellow kit today, which is probably a good thing because if I'd seen him in red and blue, I'd probably just be in tears <laughs> during this whole podcast. So um, really excited to have him back. Great that his recovery has been so swift. Um, but yeah, mo- most pleasingly is that we're not going to be rushing someone back from what was a horrendous injury. Yeah, I suspect, Dom, from the way that Vieira is treating Olise, uh, that it might be sort of kid loves again with Eze and it will be maybe drip-fed over the coming months and over Christmas and we won't see him immediately back in the first team, but in and around it, I guess, and bits here and there until he's up to speed. Yeah, he played 61 minutes, apparently, and was, according to my, my colleague Matt Wiesman, was quite heavily involved in most of Palace's attacks whilst on the pitch. So, um, promising, a, a he just needs, he'll need a few of those under his belt. Um, no kind of pre-season at all, obviously, because he couldn't even walk at that stage. Um, so he, it's time. It was, it, Vieira was quite interesting on that. I mean, given that that uh, his, his, his rehab, Eze's rehab effectively ended up pretty sure it was two weeks ago. So he was, he's, he's not been in rehab. He's, he's been working with the group for two weeks, um, which, Automatically makes you think, oh, he's about to come into first team contention. He's going, to, he could be on the bench. He could, he could play some kind of minor role. If we were in any of the cups, he he might have got a run out in then. But Vieira talks about he might be involved before Christmas, and that's 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 a manager there that, as you say, has got so many different options. He doesn't need to rush him. He can give him time. And Eberiche will, will be really keen to get to get going again. And and if anything, you're probably going to have to rein him back in. Um, there, there are going to be inevitably niggles that, that come in as he tries to step up his fitness. And, and when you, you've had the Achilles, I think it's, I think you get a lot of, tend to get a lot of calf problems, maybe the hamstring, the, the thighs afterwards. So the muscular injuries, they may, they may follow. And it's, if we can just, let him take it easy, then there's less chance of that happening, less chance of him being ruled out for two to three weeks here and there. And hopefully by Christmas and the turn of the year, you've got an Eberichi as a capable of doing what he was doing, you know, while the fans were absent last season. Which brings me perfectly, Dom, onto our final question for this round. We've had a couple of questions about transfers in January. Obviously, it looms over us in this part of the year. Uh, Rune HDK, hello, Rune. Hi, Rune. Says, um, have we got the perfect squad, or do we need any signings in January? And and then, of course, what are our chances of signing Connor? Now, uh, seeing as you reportedly do dabble in a bit of Chelsea news now and then, um, I'll put this to you. We've also had a question from Jack Steele. Hi, Jack. Hi, Jack. Who says, okay. regarding Gallagher, just how much should we reasonably pay for him? And is he worth Chelsea's price tag? But then Leif Anderson's forehead has come up with an idea. Hello, Leif. Hi, Leif. Uh, can we set up a GoFundMe page for Gallagher? I'm sure there'd be a few Palestinians who'd be happily <laughs> invest in that. Um, I, guess, I guess with all the, with lone players traditionally, Dom, the better they play, the higher the price tag goes up, the less chance you're going to get them at the end of the season. I'm guessing really for Chelsea and Palace at the moment, it's a case of sort of seeing how it goes. Yeah, and bearing in mind that that Chelsea will be in content, constant contact with with both Palace and with Conor Gallagher, um, seeing how things are, assessing his performances. Their their loan department is fairly extensive, as you can imagine, given they've got more players out on loan than we've ever had on our books. Um, it's uh, they will be very very pleased that he is playing a a playing a role at uh, at Palace and getting minutes. I mean, bearing in mind that Billy Gilmore isn't getting a look in at Norwich City, which mm-hmm. is quite remarkable, but a different issue. Um, 
<laughs> and and moreover, they'll be absolutely ecstatic that he's damaging direct rivals like Manchester City and and taking points off them effectively. Yeah. So it's all worked out perfectly so far. Um, I really, I, I know, I know that we're going to get constantly. Oh, sign him up, sign him up, sign him up, because he is playing so well. But it's we shouldn't torment ourselves over this for the next six months, seven months, whatever it's going to be. Conor Gallagher wants to play for Chelsea. That's what he wants to do. He's a Chelsea supporter, I think. He, he's 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 been brought up and developed in Chelsea's academy at Cobham. He's, I think he's from Epsom up the road. I mean, he's, he's, he he wants to be a part of that Chelsea setup. He feels he can be a part of that Chelsea setup. If he goes back to Chelsea at the end of this season and Chelsea look at him and think, wow, didn't he do well at Palace? He deserves to be part of our squad next season and possibly team next season. Then he'll have had an absolutely unbelievable season at Crystal Palace and we'll have really benefited from his presence over the course of this year. Um, if 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 Chelsea look at him and think, well, he's still a bit, maybe a bit rough around the edges in terms of possession, maybe there is scope for for either another loan or for a, for a, a transfer, but... Bearing in mind that Marina Granovskaya at Chelsea wanted forty million pounds for Michi Batshuayi when Palace went to to talk to them about him, um, and he only had a year left on his contract at the time, I think. I really don't see Chelsea being browbent into selling Conor Gallagher for a fee that is certainly one that's going to be paid for in a GoFundMe page, but also um, uh, bearing in mind what Palace's budget is likely to be next summer look at who might they, they where they might be targeting additions I, I think i think a permanent transfer for Conor gallagher in excess of 40 million pounds is probably going to be beyond crystal palace to be honest but you never know what might happen between now and then and that's 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 my point let's not torture let's just enjoy it while it's happening he is he's the, the worry if there is a worry about it all is he's so integral and so perfect for this style of play that you do start there, there will be people at that club thinking christ if we don't get him next season what the hell do we do then we need someone who's going to be something equivalent to and and there aren't that many players like conor gallagher and full flight that are available to clubs like crystal palace out there but those are those are long-term issues that the recruitment department can look at for now, he is doing brilliantly, and and long may it continue. Uh, he'll be suspended soon enough for one game because he's accumulating yellow cards like confetti, um, which will allow hopefully a, a a chance for someone like a Will Hughes. Possibly, uh, he I think he had a knock at the weekend, so he couldn't even be in the squad. But hopefully, he he will get an opportunity before too long, and we'll be able to see how Palace cope without Conor Gallagher and how this Vieira team copes without him. But but he's been. He's been brilliant, brilliant so far, and um, it clearly enjoying from playing for a better team than the one that he played for last season that struggled so so much in the Premier League. And he's showing that he he's a very much a Premier League player. And to be honest, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he was very much in contention for an England squad in the near future. I mean, he's he's playing that well. In terms of the winter window, I, I really wouldn't anticipate Palace doing an awful lot. It will depend upon what is available in terms of, I would imagine, up front. We have a striker on the books that I don't think we'll want to be paying eighteen million pounds for to make his move move permanent or whatever the eighteen million euros. I can't remember what the, the fee was exactly for Jean Philippe Mateta. I think if there was an op- opportunity for it to to send him back um, to to Mainz, is it Mainz? Yeah, Mainz. Yeah. Mm. Um, and to bring in another player on a six month loan or yeah or, or even sign somebody up for a pre-contract if they're going for the last six months of their contract somewhere else abroad that, that's probably what they'll end up doing um unless there are horrific injuries in other areas of the squad i can't see an awful lot of business in that in january you know what will happen if we don't get chronic at the end of the season we'll just get another loan from chelsea that's just it's just this is what happens now we'll, we'll, get, we'll, billy get, someone. Now. we'll get billy gilmore we'll get ruben back or something it'll be fine it'll be fine um Anyway, thank you very much, Dom. That was that was uh, very interesting. A lot of people are asking questions about that. Um, let's wrap up questions there because after part three, we've got a preview policy's next game, which is Wolves at home. Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. Ronald Reagan famously once said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, 
I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Americans are losing faith in the banking system. And at the same time, the U.S. government could soon be headed toward a centralized banking system. How scary is that? How do you protect yourself as the government gets more involved in your life? For me, owning gold is one way. Having gold that I can see and touch makes me feel protected. Having a portion of your retirement in precious metals is another way to feel protected. I don't own crypto, I don't own NFTs, and I don't buy meme stocks. I don't invest in things I don't understand. If you are like me and want to feel safe, it's time to call my friends at the Oxford Gold Group. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Again, that's www.oxfordgoldgroup.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to uh, the Five and Fan Podcast. Hey. hey! Pod 401. So we kick off the new era of FYP pods, or the next however many, um, with a game against Wolves at home at the weekend. Uh, Andy, first time ever, I think. We've never actually had a question about this. Normally, there's at least one person who says, who should play this weekend? Literally, no questions about the Wolves game. I think everyone's just basking in the glow of the City result. Um, so I will ask you, how should Palace line up this weekend at home to Wolves? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, this is a level of exercise. I, I you know. I, the Wolves are a team that I just don't bother watching. So, <laughs> neutral. If they're on the television, they're uh, no, not not tuning into that one, guys. I've got something better to say. So, I've got absolutely no idea. I mean, we just won at the, the Champions. Uh, so, anyone who gets dropped could probably feel fairly hard done by. So let's just go with the football cliche. If you don't change your winning team, and I'll go with that. Thank you very much. I, th- <laughs> I, think, I think you're probably not far off, to be honest, uh, Jack. Um, obviously, it is a game after this tough uh, 10 games opening season. A game we have to target three points in. And again, if you look back at the Brighton game and the Newcastle game, it's a game really where you hope that if Palace do go into the lead, that they are able to to hold on to it. But I guess, as Andy says, maybe, yeah, you probably don't change your winning team. No, I'd, I'd, I'd hope that the, I mean, maybe IU, if, you know, if IU was selected on Saturday for a defensive diligence, then maybe you could look at, at maybe starting Benteke centrally and Wolf and Edward on the flanks or <clears throat> the much lauded Michael Elise coming in from the start again, like he did against Newcastle. So you can possibly see that one. But then as, as Andy said, I think Jordan IU could probably have a, a few questions of the manager if he's going to be defeated after, you know, playing well in a, in a win at the champions. But I have to be honest, my knowledge of Wolves under this new manager is fairly minimal. I haven't seen them much this season under Lager. Um, and I haven't seen many of their new players. They seem to be doing, doing okay. They, you know, some good wins on the, uh, on the bounce. And uh, to be honest, the question earlier that was posed about, will we finish top table? I think Wolves will probably be having a similar, similar question themselves this season. Will they be able to, you know, break back into the top 10? And this is probably a good game for us to kind of test ourselves against a team that, that we'll be looking to kind of battle for that top half of the lower half or even break into the top half of the division. Our next three home games are uh, Wolves, Villa and Everton. I think it's probably fair to say that we're in a similar bracket to those three clubs in terms of that ambition. So this is the first of three games against similar opposition. And I think we will have enough to, to, to take the three points. I hope so. I'm, I'm going to watch them tonight against Everton. Um, research purposes is the reason if, if anyone is asked. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, that'd be a good game for them. And um, I, I, yeah, I think we'll have enough to, to to take the three points on Saturday. Yeah. Dom, I'd forgotten actually that they were in a bit of a sort of similar situation to us with a new manager, um, had a weird old time sort of with Nuno going and then sort of starting a new regime with, with Lager. Is that how you pronounce his name? Hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess they probably are in a similar boat to us. Um and if actually on the Jordan IU thing, really quickly, we did have a question that I missed out in part three uh, from FPL Taxi. Hello, Hello FPL Taxi. Um, is it time for people to start respecting Jordan IU's role in games, which require more defensive work than others? Uh, 
So I'll put that to you, Dom, really quickly. And also, do you think maybe he should start again this weekend? Um, yes, if people are disrespecting the role, um, I'm looking outside the realms of Twitter here. Uh, <laughs> is there a life outside Twitter? I don't know. But um, I, I think people, anyone who watches him play in the games that he's selected for knows what they're going to get out of him. And that's going to be the admiral stuff is the work rate, the industry and, and his ability to, to win free kicks is, is brilliant. And there were times in that, in that first half at city in particular, where he, he would dribble the ball out of his own box and go down at the merest clip, but he was fouled and he would win palace free kick and breathing space. And that's exactly what he needed to do for, for that crystal palace team, just to give him a bit of respite uh, I don't think that will be required against Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I suspect he'll be on the bench. But the whole point of building a squad over the summer was to be able to pick and choose for match-specific occasions. I mean, for for the opponents. And, um, yeah, Jordan Ayew should not be should not be like the first name on your team sheet when you're playing at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. You know, there are other options that are more likely to unlock what will probably be quite a stubborn Wolves defence. So this is an occasion where you will hopefully see Elise or Benteke coming back in and maybe, you know, going head to head with Connor Cody. I mean, these are options that Palace now have. Um, Jordan is somebody that comes on, if you're winning the game and uh, you want to just get a bit of a breather from from in, intense pressure um, from the opponents late on. So uh, I, I think and I hope that Crystal Palace supporters generally acknowledge that about Jordan, to be honest. I mean, there are a number of people, again, going back to the academy launch, the only Crystal Palace first-team player that I saw, I witnessed, being asked for an autograph from a member of the VIPs was Jordan Ayew. Really? Well, there you go. That says didn't, know, didn't know Jordan I's mum was invited. That's great news. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, no, I think a lot of people do appreciate, uh, do appreciate Are you? I've just done a bit of Googling on Lager, actually. And apparently at Wolves, um, he has raised the bar and he's not bottled it. Uh, but let's hope that a Wolves win oh, isn't brewing God. this weekend. Come on. That's not bad. In, in he's, he's, fostering a, he's fostering <laughs> a lot of good faith. Well, there's evidence that I waffle and just go on and on and on. It's given you time to come up with those three dreadful jokes. According Jeez. to most Wolves fans, he's a lager top lad. No, no, maybe not. Oh, anyway. Cause light. That's terrible. <laughs> oh, we could do this all day, Jack. Uh, right. Thank you very much. Let's end on that. those terrible puns. Um, thank you, lads, for joining me. That was an excellent episode. Really appreciate your time. Thank you to our patrons for their support, of course. Patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners for listening and your support indeed. And thank you to Matthew J.I. Wood for sponsoring this episode. Get 20% off his entire range at matthewjiwood.com with the code FYP20. Uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next week and we'll see some of you at the live pod next Thursday. Uh, but until then, stay safe, have fun, and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Podcast Network.